Amen. How are we doing, Saw Company? <laughs> Love it. All right, seriously, if you're not going to sign up for Fall Retreat, what are you doing? Like, you're missing out on the best weekend of the year. My favorite weekend of the entire school year. So sign up, all right? Excited to dig in with you. We're in week three of our foundation series. Pretty cool. All right? So if you're jumping in, if you're like, hey, this is my first time at Salt Company, I need to fill you in kind of on like where we've been. Because these first three weeks are laying the framework for the rest of the school year. Who are we at Salt Company? What do we stand for? The three pillars of Salt Company, week one, we talked about the Bible, right? We believe that scripture is God's word to us today. And we actually make the statement here at Salt Company that we look to scripture to shape our lives. Like, we actually believe that God gets final say in what is best for us. So we look at the Bible, not people's opinions, not our feelings. We look at what God says is best for us and we say, God, if you created me, I know that you know what's best for me. So last week, we talked through community, right? Week one, Bible. Week two, community. We looked at 1 John 4, and we were introduced to this idea that, like, God is love. And we know of no greater love than the love of God in the person work of Jesus Christ. And 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So a statement that we say pretty frequently around Salt Company is we want to share life and grow together through vulnerability and compassion. We actually want to live out the love of Jesus Christ with one another. You can't follow Jesus in isolation, okay? We were made for community. And so this week, week three, we are talking about mission. That's what we're talking about. And so I take it to uh, my good friends at Oxford Dictionary. Here's the definition for mission. A specific task with which a person or group is charged. Or a secondary definition, an important goal or purpose that is accompanied by strong conviction. That's what a mission is. And if you start to think through like corporations, corporate like people, corporate organizations, they actually, most of them have mission statements. And this mission statement matters because the company's mission statement is intended to give focus and direction to where the company is trying to go and what they're trying to accomplish. And so I looked up McDonald's mission statement. You're going to love it, okay? To make delicious, feel-good moments easy for everyone. And I'm like, man, depending on where you put the emphasis there, I think they might do that. I don't know. Like, to make delicious, feel-good moments? Eh, questionable. To make delicious feel-good moments? I don't know. Uh, to make delicious feel-good moments easy for everyone. I'm like, yes, you're, you're tackling it, right? So mission statement is meant to drive the business. It's meant to drive the corporate gathering. So my question to you is, what is the mission of Christianity? Like when you think about as Christians, what is our mission? Well, the good news is we don't have to guess because Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, So I'm going to read these words. Jesus has lived, he's died, he's resurrected, meaning he has come back to life, and he's about to go into heaven. He's about to ascend back into heaven, and he tells his disciples these words. Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now here's your mission, disciples. Here's your mission, Christian. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here we go. Jesus says our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. And you might be thinking, disciple, what does that mean? It's a churchy word that actually doesn't come from a church background. The word disciple means learner or follower. And so Jesus is saying, here's the mission of Christianity, to go and make more followers of Jesus Christ. And here's how you do it. You go to them, you proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, you baptize them as a declaration of faith, and then you teach them all that God has commanded you. All of that is wrapped up in disciple making. And so you might hear this and you might be like, wow, that is really uncomfortable, right? Like for some of you, you're like, okay, I read the Great Commission and I'm like, yes, I've heard this before. I grew up in church. I know that I'm supposed to share my faith. But in reality is it's awkward, right? Like I know I'm supposed to, but bringing it up in conversation is always weird. I feel like I'm, like, confronting people. I don't know. It's always just like, I don't want to be the weird Jesus freak. But then there's some of us in this room that actually would look at a statement like this and say, no, I think this is wrong. Like, I don't actually think we should tell people about Jesus. And the reason I can say that I know that that's true is because research proves this, Okay. A Barna research study said 50% of young Christians, meaning like younger in age, believe that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share that faith. Meaning 50% of self-proclaimed Christians would say, I believe that it is wrong for me to share about Jesus in such a way that somebody else would come to believe in Jesus. That's crazy. And I think it's kind of our day and age where it's like, oh, everybody should believe what they believe. Everything is okay. I don't want to confront somebody or lead to conflict. And regardless of which camp you land in, whether it's like, I know we should do this, but it's awkward, or it's like, man, I think that this is actually something I shouldn't do. The reality is, in this room, Statistics would also tell me that more than 90% of Christians have never shared their faith in their life. Never. 90%. And so when you start talking about the mission statement of Christianity, say like, go and share the gospel and make disciples, how are we doing? Not good, right? Like, if more than 90% of us have never shared our faith, we're missing our mission, and so tonight, my goal is not to convince you of the mission of Christianity. Like, if Jesus Christ has said it, I think it's pretty clear. I don't need to add to that. But I think what I want to do tonight is kind of expose how we're getting mission wrong, right? To say, maybe we've been getting mission wrong all along, and we're missing, like, one key ingredient. And if we just understand this ingredient, our mission becomes a lot easier. Because sharing our faith is no longer about making it awkward, or being confrontational, or even, though it's not a bad thing, it's not primarily about converting somebody's convictions, okay? So if there's one missing ingredient, I think all of us should want to lean in and kind of learn what might this missing ingredient be. So we're going to be in John 4, so New Testament in your Bible, use table of contents if you need it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and as you flip there, I kind of want to tell you where we've been. So Jesus has been traveling. He's been doing ministry. 
several weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' infamous miracle of turning water into wine. And he's been teaching primarily amongst religious insiders up through the first three chapters of the Gospel of John. And by the time we get to John 4, we find Jesus traveling with his disciples through a region called Samaria. And if you know anything about Samaria, you know that this is kind of uncharted territory when it comes to Christianity. Like, the Jews of this time looked at the land of Samaria and the people of Samaria, and they said, these people are filthy. Like, to even travel through this land would actually make you as a Jew, like, undefiled. It would make you filthy. You would have to, like, go to the temple and cleanse yourself, even stepping foot on this ground. But Jesus kind of pulls a plot twist, and he's like, hey, I know it's common to travel around Samaria, but me and my disciples, we're going to walk through it. So they start walking through Samaria, and Jesus' disciples go to get something to eat, all right? And understand, they have walked over 60 miles over a few days, so Jesus stops at a well. Dude is gassed, like, when's the last time you walked 60 miles? Never, right? Jesus is tired. He sits down at a well because he's thirsty. But then the problem is he doesn't have anything to get water with. He doesn't have a water jar. So Jesus is sitting at a well, and here's what happens next. Start with me. John 4, starting in verse 7. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. All right, what's going on here? There's a lot that actually needs a little bit of unpacking here. So this woman, if you look up just a verse in verse 6, you see that she has come to the well at, it says, the sixth hour. That means she came at 12 o'clock noon. This was incredibly uncommon. When you think about where they're located in the beating down sun, The fact that they would have to travel to get water and bring it back to their village to perform daily chores and provide for the family. Nobody came to the well at noon, okay? They would go first thing in the morning before the sun got hot and before the chores had to be done. So 
why is this woman coming to the well at noon? The reality is, she is an outcast. She is the outcast of outcasts, right? Like, to be a Samaritan is already to be an outcast, and now this woman can't even stand to be seen in and amongst her people. Maybe she's avoiding them, or she knows that if she's seen with them, it's not going to go well for her. So she shows up at noon, and Jesus starts talking to her. And she is obviously just shook by this conversation, right? You see her say, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus is crossing so many barriers here. Like, he's crossing the racial barrier, and he, he is saying, I know that Samaritans in and amongst my day are viewed as racially inferior, but that's not how I view Samaritans. And I know that it's scandalous in this day and age for a Jewish man to speak to a random woman in public, but I don't think so. So he starts talking to her. And he starts using this language about water. And as we kind of can start to figure out, this woman is a little bit confused about what Jesus is saying. Have you guys ever had this happen before where you're talking to somebody about something and they either like start to take you literally or just completely misunderstand where you're going? Like I had this happen, okay, junior year of high school, I was on this AAU wrestling team. We would go down to a national tournament down in, in Florida each year. And one of the sweetest things about Disney World is they employ people from all around the world. It is seriously amazing. Like you step foot on Disney World, you get to meet people from the other side of the world every single place you go. So we stay at this resort, and as a wrestler, I'm like, resort means free ice cream. That's dope. I'm like, I don't have to make weight the rest of the week. So I went and got a Sunday at like 11 p.m. The dude that was making my Sunday was an international worker, and he didn't speak phenomenal English. He spoke great English, but let's be real. English is a terrible language, right? So I give him my order for a Sunday. He's doing great. And then he asks if I want sprinkles. And of course I say, duh, like, yeah, sprinkles are good. And so he puts some sprinkles on and he holds it up to me and he says, what do you think? And I said, that's good. What do you think that means? Like, be done, right? Like, that's good. No, he says, oh, starts putting more sprinkles on. And I'm like, that's good, like trying to stop. He goes, oh, and before you know it, I seriously have a Sunday like just... Yeah, sprinkles with the side of Sunday. And I'm like, huh, that is the English language. Like slang, that's good, actually was taken wrong. Like I was trying to say be done, and he was saying more, right? And some of that is actually kind of happening here as Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. She is taking him literally about water, living water, and what Jesus is actually trying to talk to her about is about so much more than water, okay? He is trying to tell the woman at the well, this is not about water. This is about your heart. This is a heart issue. And the well was actually symbolic for this woman's life, right? Day after day, coming back to this well to get more water, for the water to run out, the water to be empty, and then for her to have to come back again and get more water, and just a vicious cycle. And we actually figure out that this is a picture of her life because when Jesus gently confronts her and says, hey, go, go tell your husband 
we find out that this woman is a different definition of thirsty, right? Like, she is on her sixth man. And Jesus is trying to say, hey, here's the deal. You're trying to find your satisfaction in men, in relationships. And you know what, what's happening? You're not satisfied. It's running out every time. You're disappointed. You're lost. You're frustrated. You've been drinking from the well of this world and you're still thirsty. And Salt Company, I just want to ask you, like, what are you running to for satisfaction? It's pretty easy to read this story and be like, well, I've never had five husbands before. It's like, good, you're 19 years old. I hope not, right? But the question is, like, how many of you feel like you need a boyfriend or girlfriend to be satisfied all the time? How many of you feel like you need approval, that you feel like you need to belong to a friend group? How many of you are looking for satisfaction and pleasure, whether that's substance abuse, sex, you name it? How many of you are looking for satisfaction in a job or your grades or maybe your athletic performance? Yeah, you might not be running to a spouse, but... I think chances are, if you're anything like me, when I was in college, you're running and looking for satisfaction in a lot of the world, okay? I think about who I was in college. Here's how I thought satisfaction would happen. I'm going to have a relationship with a female, and hopefully it's longer lasting than the friend zone. Didn't happen very frequently. So then I was like, okay, friend zone isn't working out. I guess I'll just jump into the party scene, right? Might as well get drunk on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, jump into hookup culture, you know, participate in sexual immorality. And then if that's not working out, you know, I have at least my grades to fall back on. I'll be a straight-A student. I'll score my dream internship. Maybe one day I'll just measure up. I'll, I'll be the collegiate strength and conditioning coach that everybody looks up to. And at the end of the day, you guys, none of that satisfied me. And I actually love the, the word picture here of a well. Because you know what happens to a well? It eventually runs dry. Right? This well will eventually run dry. And this woman, or you, you have one of two options. Either you can drill deeper, or you can go find a new well. Here's what I mean by that. Say you love money, and money satisfies you, and you score your first job, and you're making 35 grand a year. And guess what? It satisfies you for a little bit until you recognize someone out there makes more money than you. And then it's like, hey, 35K doesn't cut it anymore. I want to make 50,000. Then you make 50,000, and it doesn't satisfy you, so you want to make 70,000. And then that doesn't satisfy you, and you want to make 100,000. The reality is someone else always has more than you. And so you just keep drilling deeper and deeper and deeper, and you're still not satisfied. Or you go and drill another well. You're like me, right? You figure out like, oh, the relationship thing isn't working out, so I'll go find joy in sex. Or, hey, you know, the party scene is leaving me empty again, so I'll go throw myself into athletics or academics. Yeah, maybe you're not digging deeper, but you're just going and you're digging a new well. You're still not satisfied. You're still like this woman who day after day is running back and looking for more. And I think it's sweet here that Jesus offers us a much better solution. He says, hey, here's what you can do. You can either 
come to a well and get water that exists outside of you. And yeah, it might satisfy you for a moment or for a day. Or here's what you can do. You can have living water that's not from outside of you, but that actually wells up inside of you. He uses this language here in verse 13 that he says, the water that I give to him will be a spring of water. A spring of water welling up to eternal life. And you have to understand that a spring is the exact opposite of a well. Because if you come to a well, here's what you need to do. You have to dig deep. You have to work hard. You have to drop your bucket into that well and pull the water out yourself. Here's what's true of a fountain. It bursts forth water. It doesn't require work. It just gushes out. And that's what Jesus is trying to say here. He's like, hey, you can either work really hard and actually never be satisfied, or you can come to me and I burst forth with satisfaction. It's actually not a matter of working and earning and trying harder and searching. It's a matter of receiving. It's a matter of receiving this satisfaction. I want to look real quick at verse 10, okay? Jesus says to this woman, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see that? It's a gift. It's, it's a spring. It's, it's bursting forth. Jesus is saying, I have satisfaction just waiting for you. It's at your fingertips. The question is, are you going to receive the gift of satisfaction that I give you? And this woman is clearly confused. She's confused in a whole lot of ways. But one thing actually she gets right, we see in verse 25. The woman said to, to him, to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. You see, this word Messiah or Christ means anointed one. She knew that scripture spoke of a promised rescuer that would be sent from God. And so, in some ways, it's like she knew that the answer to the problem in her heart was not self-help or self-love or actually looking all around her, she knew that she needed a rescuer. But the problem is, she's not sure who this rescuer is. Right? In verse 19, she called Jesus a prophet. I see that you are a prophet. She does not understand who she is talking to. And when we look at verse 26, we see Jesus' response to her. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus says, saying, yeah, you're looking for the rescuer, the anointed one sent from God. I'm here, right? Look at me. I am the rescuer sent from God. I am the anointed one. And you can't miss this, Salt Company. It's so sweet. As you just look at John 4, the one who is offering living water to this woman became thirsty. That's fascinating. This shows that the God of the universe did not just stay far off and remain only a distant God. He came and he put on flesh. He became fully human and, yes, fully God. He experienced thirst in such a way that he could offer us living water. Because the Bible says, here is the way to God. Either 
you can live a perfect life or you can accept the substitutionary death of a perfect life that's gone before you. And there has been one perfect life that has gone before you. His name is Jesus Christ. He is this man that we're interacting with here in John 4. And he is not only a man that became thirsty so that you could have living water, he is a man that died that you might have life. That's amazing. Like, this God puts on flesh, lives the life you couldn't, and dies in your place that you can experience life. And you know how he can do that? Because he rose from the grave. He defeated death, right? I talked about that in Matthew 28. He is the resurrected king who takes you, who was once a slave to your sin, and now he says, sin has no power over you if you would put your trust in me. And Jesus actually comes to satisfy your soul, right? I think through all the things that we're longing for in this life, a sense of belonging, God says, you are a child of God, we're looking for, for joy. The Bible would say, God, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We want success. We want to measure up. And scripture would say that God looks at us and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's not because of you, all right? It's because of what Jesus has done for you in your place. That now when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your mistakes he looks at you and he sees the perfect work of Jesus. If you would say, God, my trust is in you alone. I want to be satisfied in you alone. And now you have to see what this woman's response is. Now that she understands who Jesus is, verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Do you see that? Like, her natural response is to drop her water jar. Like, she came to get water. And you think about some of the actual implications of what it means to leave her water jar behind. Like, this woman cannot help but think, my only appropriate response is to go back to the city and tell people, I have met the Messiah. I have met the Christ. And so, what's the missing component to our mission? Here's what we need to know tonight, Saw Company. We share about Jesus when, when we are satisfied in Jesus. That's just a reality. That is the natural outcome of this woman's life. We share about Jesus when we're satisfied in Jesus. Or you can say it this way. Being satisfied in Jesus leads to sharing Jesus. Being satisfied in Jesus leads to sharing Jesus. Because here's what's true. I know it's true for you and for me. We share what we're satisfied in. Right? Think about like the last time you had something really good to eat. You're at a restaurant and you ate, you're eating something really good. Dudes, your girlfriend ordered chicken strips to stay clean and she didn't know what she's doing. She's missing out on the steak. You take a bite and you're like, hey, you got to try this, right? No. For me, it's Dairy Queen over by Coe College, that little sketchy one. Hey, that is the best Dairy Queen in town. I'm just saying. 16th Ave, Dairy Queen, you got to go there. And I walk up. Anytime I have someone that hasn't been to this Dairy Queen before, I'm like, okay, here's what you got to do. You got to order the Wonder Woman Blizzard. And every time I do it, people are like, okay, that's going to cost you $5.30 in your man card. And I'm like, dang it, again, no, a Wonder Woman Blizzard. And every time I get it, I'm like, you got to try this. Like, even if you don't want to order it for yourself, you got to try it. Because it's that good. 
Or you think about the last time you found out an event was coming. Like for those of you that went to fall retreat, you're going to go to your connection group this week and be like, you guys, fall retreat's coming. You got to sign up. It's epic. Belly flop contests, donut eating competitions. Like you got to be there, right? Or I just recently found out Trey Kennedy is coming to Des Moines in December. And I was like, yeah, Trey Kennedy's in Des Moines December 9th. What do you think? You know, that's not news that I'm withholding because I'm like, I love a good comedian and I want other people to enjoy a good comedian. That's just natural. And then you have to see what, what happens as a result of this woman going back to her city and sharing what she's satisfied in. Okay, verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. You see that? Like, the satisfaction that has come to this woman is now, she is taking it back to her city and is not saying, come be converted. She is saying, come be satisfied. Come be satisfied in the Savior of the world who has satisfied me. The goal was less about, can I convert this person's ideology? It's, can I bring this person to be fully satisfied in Jesus because he is the only one that can satisfy their soul? And that's exactly what happens. Now, I've been told, pretty common quote, evangelism or sharing the gospel is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I love that quote. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. You understand that you are helpless and hopeless apart from Jesus Christ, but he has come, he has fed you, he has satisfied your soul, and now you're telling other people, hey, I know where the bread's at. You must encounter this Jesus. And so, as we begin to talk about mission tonight, okay, I have several application points, but it all starts with the first one, which is you have to be satisfied in Jesus. Like, our greatest barrier to mission is the fact that we are actually not satisfied in Jesus. We are settling for far less great pleasures. We're throwing ourselves into the things of this world, and we are just like the woman of Samaria, that we are left disappointed and thirsting for more. And I'm pleading with you, Stop doing that. Like, stop finding or searching your satis for your satisfaction in all these worldly things when Jesus has come and said, I want to give you satisfaction. I want to give you living water that's going to well up within you. It's not something you have to go and search for all the time. I am God. I am here. I am with you. And then from there, I think there's a few appropriate application points. The first is sign up for Gospel 101, okay? This is a shameless plug to say, you guys, six weeks for you to learn more about the gospel. The gospel means good news, the good news of Jesus. For you to give yourselves a six-week immersion in the good news of Jesus and a free excuse to go share the gospel. Like, literally to start taking this and applying it right away is to sign up for this class and say, hey, I want to grow in sharing my faith. Because Jesus has satisfied my soul and I want other people to be satisfied too. But the reality is, that starts next Thursday. And so, between now and then, a third application point is, start sharing your faith. Like, just begin to share your faith. And if you think, hey, I don't know enough, I'm not qualified enough, 
I don't have all the answers. What did this woman know? <laughs> like, she literally is running back to the city and is telling people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Like, come see a man who told me that I was a sexual, immoral woman. Like, she is, in a way, boasting about her sin and how Jesus has then satisfied what she was looking for. It's as simple as going to people and saying, hey, I just want to tell you about something I've learned about myself within the last week. Would you mind? Could I get, could I get a couple minutes of your time? Okay. For all these years, I've been trying to find my satisfaction in blank. Fill it in. Whatever you've been trying to find satisfaction in. And just recently, I figured out that those things actually never were meant to satisfy my soul. Because only Jesus can. Can I tell you about Jesus? And at that point, they're already hooked. So you might as well lay it on them, right? Like, to just tell them, Jesus has satisfied my soul. And to say, man, I just want you to experience the same freedom, joy, and satisfaction I've found. Start sharing your faith. And if you're looking for a simple method, right, I've, I was told this this last week, it's, it's a three-step process, which is actually, I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. To start with surface-level conversation, to allow that to move to serious conversation, and then to allow serious conversation to become spiritual conversation. Surface to serious to spiritual. What did you do this weekend? Okay, like, what does that mean to you? Like, why do you enjoy that? It's starting to get a little bit more serious because now you're talking about their values and their worldview. And then you can start to have spiritual conversation of like, oh, like, what's your hope for that? Like, how does that satisfy you? How does that, you know, how does that measure up? And you get to share Jesus, okay? Last one, last application point is to start praying about your summer. Okay, Salt Company sends every summer uh, a group of short-term missionaries from our ministry. They're you. Students who are willing to say, I've been satisfied by Jesus, and there are 3.2 billion people on the other side of the world that have never heard about Jesus before. And if Jesus can interact with a Samaritan woman... But far greater than that, if Jesus can go from heaven to earth, I think the least I can do is cross the sea for eight weeks to expose people to the good news of Jesus Christ. I just, I'm not telling you to go do that right now. I'm telling you to begin praying about this. We'll talk more about it in the, in the weeks to come, but start praying about your summer. And you guys, all these things that I'm, I'm asking you to do, to just consider applying in your life. We don't do this to earn God's approval, right? We don't go and share the gospel because hopefully one day then God would look at us and say, okay, yes, you've shared the gospel enough. You can come into heaven. That's not why we're doing this. We are sharing because God has already looked at us and he says, you are already approved. I see the finished work of Jesus Christ. And in light of that, because he's satisfied your soul, now go share. Go share this satisfaction. And if we just start to live this out, I love this passage in Acts 4. Two guys by the name of Peter and John. People are trying to get them to shut up about Jesus. And here's what they say, Acts 4.20. We cannot help but speak of what we've seen and heard. We can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. Because they're human. <laughs> and humans share what they're satisfied in. And so that's my prayer for us tonight, this week, this next month this next semester, for the rest of our lives, that we would be people that are so satisfied in Jesus we can't help but speak of him. So pray with me. Worship team's gonna come back up. We'll respond. 
Jesus, thank you that you alone satisfy our souls. And God, we confess that we are prone to look for satisfaction in all the wrong places, God, whether it's relationships or pleasure, aside from you, whether it's trying to find our purpose or our identity in school or work or athletics. God, none of those things are meant to satisfy us. Only you were and only you can. So thank you, Jesus, that you have given us the gift of God, that you've put on flesh, that you've lived the life we couldn't and died the death we deserve, that we can actually be satisfied in you. And God, I pray that every student in here tonight would have this spring of living water welling up within them. God, that you would satisfy them in such a way that they cannot help but speak of you as we leave this place. And Jesus, we pray that you would just, yeah, not only satisfy us, but satisfy the souls and lives of people that we know and love and care for. People on our campus, people in our families, and God, even people on the other side of the world, because you alone are worthy to be worshipped. We pray this in your name. Amen.